And welcome once again to EWTN's Bookmark. I'm Doug Keck, your host. Our guest, author, not a stranger to people on EWTN, John Martinoni, a blue-collar answer to Protestantism, Catholic questions that Protestants can't answer. Published by EWTN Publishing and naturally available through our EWTN Religious Catalog, EWTNRC.com for all things Catholic. Good to see you, John. Good to see you, Doug. What I want to know, John, is where's the blue collar? Well, that's, uh, if I had worn a blue collar shirt, I have blue jeans and blue, it, it would have been a, a little too much blue on blue. A little too much blue. Okay, but blue collar, why did you always, why is that your moniker? Well, it just, uh, within, there was about a, this was a few years ago, mm -hmm. within about two weeks, I had three or four different people email me, all, none of them connected with each other, mm -hmm. and they said, you're a very blue-collar apologist, you're mm -hmm. blue-collar explanations, and I, I just, I associate blue-collar with common sense, mm -hmm. right. you know, plumbers, factory work, they all have to have common sense, so uh, it, it just, I said, well, sounds good, so I just ran with it, mm -hmm. so. Now, this book is almost in some ways, and it, it's, it's kind of listed that way in a sense, almost like two books in one. It certainly is broken up 50-50. Explain what each half is and why you did it that way. Well, the, the first half is called Problems with Protestantism. Mm -hmm. And basically what I do there is I look at uh, Protestantism from, well, let's call it a macro viewpoint. Mm -hmm. I, I look at the forest instead of the trees of Protestantism. In the second half of the book, it's called Questions Protestants Can't Answer. And I look, I focus more in on particular dogmas and doctrines of Protestantism. So it's looking at the trees instead of the forest. Mm -hmm. And so in the first half, kind of looking at the, the underlying assumptions of Protestantism as a whole mm -hmm. to show that, well, yeah, Protestantism might make sense here. It might make sense here and here. But when you put it all together, it doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. there, there are problems with logic and, and commonsensical problems as, as well as scriptural problems that makes it right. to where Protestantism just doesn't add up. Well, you say in a foe, we live in a, and actually it was Jeanette who wrote this for you, lives in a day and time when logic and good old common sense is at a premium, and but the answer to most people will tell you, well, that's just how I feel about it. Right, right. and. There are things that, you know, in this book, I can't deal with people's feelings. Mm -hmm. So I go after it, and what I tell people, I say, look, when folks respond to you emotionally, and you're making a, a logical argument, a scriptural argument, and you're getting emotion back, yeah, you can, you know, depending on the situation, your relationship with that person, you can try to deal with the emotional arguments, but sooner or later, They've got to think about this because mm -hmm. one of the lines I, I love from scriptures, uh, Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, mm -hmm. and strength. So I'd say, I tell him, I say, you got to just plant the seeds mm -hmm. and then let the Holy Spirit do what he does. Now she mentions that uh, in the book, you uncover the incoherence of Protestant doctrine by looking specifically at key teaching and those highlighted the most would be like Sola Scriptura and Sola Fide, why those two? Right. Those are what I call the pillars of Protestantism. Okay. If you can show that either one of those doesn't work, Sola Scriptura in particular, there's, there, there's not really a universal doctrine within Protestantism. If there is one, it's Sola Scriptura, it mm -hmm. comes the closest. Um, if you can show that Sola Scriptura doesn't work, mm -hmm. 
then you've pretty much eliminated 99.9% .9 of Protestantism. If you can show that sola fide doesn't work, salvation by faith alone, then you've probably eliminated about 85 to 90% of Protestantism. So if you can show that the two pillars of Protestantism, one or the other or both, don't make sense, they're not logical, they're not scriptural, then what you've done is you've planted seeds with people to say, hey, look at what the Catholic Church is offering and, and start bringing them down that path. Right. You say, and when I say that Protestantism is incoherent, I want to make it clear that I'm not saying there isn't, there is absolutely nothing within Protestantism that makes sense. You talk about the doctrines and the dogmas of Protestantism that are distinctly Protestant, such as Scola Scriptura and Sola Fide, once saved, always saved, the rapture, and so on, uh, simply do not make sense from the perspective of Scripture or the perspective of logic, and again, that's kind of alludes to what you said before. There, are, there are, there are pieces that are that are, are right on the money in right. many cases, um, but when you they, when you either put them together, they just don't fit. Right, right, yeah. There's uh, for once saved, always saved. It's okay. Once I believe, then I'm saved, and nothing can derail my that my train to heaven. You know, no sin I commit. Not, Nothing. Well, they in with Protestants they can make a a seemingly good case, systematic case using Scripture, for once saved always saved. But then you come over here and you show well salvation by faith alone. You know, I ask one of the questions I mm -hmm. ask is, do you have to love God in order to be saved? Mm -hmm. Well, the natural Christian answer is well, of course you have to love God in order to be saved. But if you have to love God in order to be saved, then it's not faith alone. Mm -hmm. It's faith and love. So if sola fide doesn't work, now all of a sudden once saved, always saved starts unraveling. And so you bring, well, a, bring them all together and it just, it doesn't make sense. Well, if you have to do the sinner's prayer, isn't that an act? Exactly. Right. Exactly. That's, I always tell people, I say, well, I, what I like to do, I tell people, I say, look, Bible tells us that Jesus died for all men's sins. but." most Christians will believe, will say, will agree, not all men are saved. Mm -hmm. So I ask the difference. What's the difference between the redeemed and saved and the redeemed and unsaved? Mm -hmm. Is it something Jesus did or something this, the saved person did that the unsaved person didn't do? And for the Protestant, that causes a problem because Jesus finished all his work 2,000 years ago on the cross. Mm -hmm. You know, it is finished, he said in John. Well, if it's not anything Jesus did, then obviously there's some difference between that the saved person did and the unsaved person didn't do, mm -hmm. which, as you said, it's an action, mm -hmm. something they did right. that the other person didn't do. Well, sometimes I know I, I used to hear the, the term person would talk about somebody who, who was everybody thought was saved, but then they did terrible things. And they said, well, they didn't have a lived faith, they had a said faith. Yeah, or, or, or they'll say, well, they weren't really saved in the first place. Right. And so one question I ask, because the, the doctrine of once saved, always saved, is also known as the doctrine of eternal security. Mm -hmm. Once you're saved, you have no worries whatsoever. You're saved, that's mm -hmm. it, you're going to heaven. Well, I ask those people, I say, do you believe that there are people who think they're saved, but really aren't saved? 100%, I've asked that question 100% right. of the time. The response is yes. Absolutely right. So I'll look at them and say, "Are you saved?" Right. And they say, "Well, yeah. I'm. 
well, wouldn't somebody who thinks they're saved but really aren't saved say the same? Well, yeah, I guess. Well, are you saved? Mm -hmm. And if you admit that it's possible for someone to think they're saved but not really saved, you cannot have eternal security. security. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Because you could be one of those people. So you say you come at this whole issue in a slightly different way than other books do. How, how would you view that? Well, a lot of books will come in and say, all right, this is how you show from Scripture to the Protestants that Mary is uh, a perpetual virgin. That, you know, the dogmas of Mary, you explain it from Scripture. Uh, the, the teachings of the Catholic Church, you explain it from Scripture. Well, I use Scripture, but I don't, I'm not, I'm not uh, being declarative as much as I am questioning. Mm -hmm. So I'm asking questions, and I'm showing that, yeah, the Scripture doesn't make sense, but I mean, the scriptural reasons you're putting behind mm -hmm. your, your, your dogmas in Protestantism don't make sense. But what I'm showing is, is that even if the, you have a, a surface uh, scriptural explanation, with just one or two questions, you get down below that, mm -hmm. and the common sense in that mm -hmm. just doesn't. Right. add up. The logic doesn't flow. Right. And uh, you know, for example, sola scriptura. You know, they can, I, I've had Protestants quote me verse after verse after verse showing sola scriptura from the Bible. So the, one of the questions I ask is, well, do you believe Mark, the Gospel of Mark, is the inspired and errant word yeah, of God? Yeah, that question in here. In yeah. This book, right? yeah. And, and they'll say, well, yeah. I say, well, where in the Bible does it say that? Give me book, chapter, and verse. Well, they can't do it, because nowhere in the Bible does it say the Gospel of Mark is the inspired and errant Word of God. There's no table of contents. Uh, right. So well, I actually had somebody tell me once, well, it's right there in the table, table of contents. contents. <laughs> I right, like, right, uh, right. No, I don't think you understand. <laughs> but, but so I'll, I'll explain to them. I said, so what you're, you're relying on an authority outside of Scripture in order to tell you that Scripture is what you believe it to be. Mm -hmm which is a logical contradiction to sola scriptura. It's not sola scriptura, it's sola scriptura plus this authority that's outside of scripture. Yeah, which we would call tradition. Exactly, right. exactly. So I didn't give them any scripture, I didn't mm -hmm. quote scripture to them or, or quote uh, tradition or, or anything. I just used a little common sense and said, you know, why do you believe Mark is the inspired, and you, you could pick John or right, Luke, why do you believe that's the inspired and errant word of God? Right. Where in here does it tell you that? And it doesn't. Right. Now you, you ask yourself a question here. You say, there are probably those who would object to say, John, why do you focus so much on Protestants? And especially today, many people would look and say, is that really the biggest issue? We're dealing obviously with the issues of Islam obviously happening right. in the Middle East. And certainly I know through Father Spitzer's program many times the focus is really on dealing with the idea of the existence of God right. and atheism kind mm -hmm. of and scientism and kind of things. Uh, is this a little passe to be talking about Catholics and Protestants? Well, I don't think so. Uh, and the reason I focus on Protestants so much, probably 95, 96% of the time, atheism the rest of the time, mm -hmm. Number one is a practical reason. Everything in that book has come out of my actual experiences in dialoguing with people. In the last 25 years that I've been doing uh, apologetics evangelization, I've talked to th literally thousands of Protestants in, in many different ways. And um, so there's that. 
The number of atheists I've talked to is probably a few dozen, mm -hmm. all online. The number of Muslims I've talked to is zero. I see. The number of Jewish people, zero. Hindu, zero. So I just, they're not in my sphere right. of okay. contact. So I've never talked to these people, and so I don't really focus on them because, again, I'm writing about my experiences. But secondly, Jesus says in uh, Matthew 12 and elsewhere, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Right. And one of the reasons I believe that the world is literally going to hell around us is because the church, Christianity, does not speak with one voice. We've got tens of thousands upon tens of thousands of divisions within Christianity. So when the world looks at Christians, they don't see unity. Mm -hmm. They don't hear people speaking with one voice. We've got Christian pastors saying abortion is okay. Right. That, uh, you know, fighting for transsexual rights and, and things along right. for euthanasia. Well, if we're going to witness to the world and be effective in our witness to the world, we have to be united. And so that's another reason why I focus so much on Protestantism. Uh, you talk about the idea and understanding how you use the word Protestant, uh, that you're really talking about Lutheran, Anglican, Methodist, Presbyterian, Baptist, Evangelical, Pentecostal, Church of Christ, non-denominational, so on, that that's the umbrella used for all of them, even right. though they all believe slightly different things depending on who you're dealing right. with. And right, and a lot of them, like, like Baptists, don't really like to be called Protestant. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of the Protestant denominations will say, they'll say, well, that's the traditional Lutheran, Methodist, uh, Presbyterian, those are the Protestants. Non-denominational don't like mm -hmm. to be called Protestant. But what I'd say is they're all using the Protestant Bible, mm -hmm. which is 66 books versus the 73-book Catholic okay. Bible. Mm -hmm. So I say if you're using the Protestant Bible, then essentially you're Protestant because you're saying all of my doctrines, dogmas, practices, etc., to do with Christianity come from this Bible. Well, that's a Protestant Bible. And so whether you call yourself that or not. Which is really 500 years ago or so. Exactly. Right. Then I'm going to use that term not to be derogatory or to insult right. you, or any, right. but just for ease of explication. Gotcha. In, in getting into the book, you talk about, this is an interesting take, decapitating Jesus. In Protestantism, there's a tendency to separate Jesus from the church. How so? Well, I have been told countless times, you Catholics go by what your church tells you. I, as a Baptist, non-denominational, etc., I go by what Jesus says. Right. Okay, so I've got Jesus, you've got the church. Right. And so what are they doing? They're separating Jesus from the church. I see, okay. They're saying, I don't need a church. I've had so many times, the first time I ever heard it, it shocked me, but I've heard it dozens and dozens of times since then. I'll have, for instance, someone will, I'll be talking to them, I say, well, what church you go to? Well, I go to the First Baptist Church of so-and-so. Mm -hmm. So I think, okay, they're Baptist. Then we'll be talking, they'll say things, and I'm like, I'm thinking, Baptists don't believe that. Mm -hmm. So the first time it ever happened, I, I stopped the guy, I said, wait a minute, Baptists don't believe that. He said, well, I'm not Baptist. I said, well, you just told me you go to the First Baptist Church mm -hmm. of, of, over there. And he said, well, I go there because that pastor comes closest to what I believe. Right, yeah. So it's like he's his own pope, pastor, right. and theologian for his right. own church, a one-man denomination. Right, and he'll move between those depending exactly. on who might be the pastor so there, right? he doesn't really have a church. He doesn't need a church. He's got Jesus. Mm -hmm. So you're separating church from Jesus. You're separating the head from the body, 
and that's called decapitation. Right, and clearly, at least most interpreters, even on the Protestant side, would believe that Jesus founded a church. Right, right. But for them, they'll say, well, the church is this broad, spiritual, non-physical entity mm -hmm. that everybody who's accepted Jesus into their hearts as their personal Lord and Savior is a member of. Mm -hmm. But then I'll start saying, oh, so Jesus' church teaches all sorts of stuff, huh, that contradicts itself because Protestant doctrines and teachings contradict themselves all over the place. And they'll say, well, no, no. So their, their definition of church is very nebulous, mm -hmm. very, you know, it's, it's not very well defined. Um, but then again, you'll have, like I said, a lot of the non-denominational Baptists, those who are farther away from the traditional Protestant denominations, they'll say, well, I don't really right. need a church. I've got Jesus. Right. Protestants will also say that they, they do indeed have the authority to pronounce doctrinal judgments, yes, but not doctrinal judgments that are actually binding on all Protestants. That's in your binding and loosening. Right, right, yes. That's one of the problems with Protestantism is, is binding and loosening. Jesus gave his church, we see it in Matthew 16 and Matthew 18, the authority to bind and loose on earth what will be bound and loosed in heaven. So this is an authority that if it's bound and loosed in heaven, then that means all Christians mm -hmm. are bound by this. But within Protestantism, there is no authority that even claims, even makes the claim that, hey, what we say, what we teach, all Christians everywhere are bound by. Mm -hmm. Many of them don't even claim that the people in their denomination are necessarily bound by this, that they have that authority. They'll say, this is what we believe based on our understanding of the Bible, mm -hmm. but if you're, you know, Methodist, I, I had a Methodist minister who said, uh, someone asked him in his own congregation, what do we believe about the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper? Is it really the body and blood of Christ or is it just a symbol? And he told me the minister turned around and asked him, said, well, what, what do, do you, you believe? Think it, what do you think <laughs> yeah, it is? Okay. Whatever you think it is, that's what it, what it is. is. And that's, that's when the guy made the decision to become Catholic mm -hmm. because he said, this can't be right. There's no authority here. Right. So the lack of and it's authority. not magic. I can't make things right. because of the way I think about it. That's the problem of the world today. People yes. think they can do that. Yes. And that's, I mean, that's, and what you're seeing in the world is, is what's bleeding over from Christianity, mm. from people who say, well, it, it, it could be this, it could be, it's whatever I believe it is. It's right. whatever I interpret the Bible. That's, that's what's true. Right. Now, you also mentioned a point there's no Protestant catechism. I don't think anybody would argue with you or think there was, but yet you then have a reference material on page, I think it's 43 here, uh, with various little catechisms, including one from Martin Luther from 1529. Right. Why'd you put that in? Well, because when I've Talked about, like I said, this all of this has come from my experience. So one time I got a, a, a response that, well, no, Protestants have catechisms. Well, yes, the individual denominations mm -hmm. may have a catechism. Mm -hmm. Lutherans do, Anglicans do, Methodists, uh, Baptists to, to some respect, to mm -hmm. some extent. Um, but Protestantism as a whole doesn't have a catechism. You can't say, when I, if I were to ask you, what do Protestants believe about the rapture? Mm -hmm. you, you don't have something you can hand me and say, well, here's the 10, 12 different beliefs in this Protestant catechism, what Protestants believe. So I put those individual denominational catechisms in mm -hmm. to show, number one, that 
there's no overarching Protestant mm -hmm. catechism, but number two, even the catechisms that are in Protestantism in the individual denominations, they contradict each other mm -hmm. over and over and over again. Uh, what the Anglicans say contradicts what the Lutherans say, contradicts what the Methodists say, contradicts what the Baptists say. And so the point is, again, there's no authority right. within Protestantism that can bind everyone to particular beliefs. Well, I remember when I first started listening to Christian radio and then listening to uh, or, and taking a look at TBN and stuff, the thing that struck me the most, besides the fact that some of the teachers were very good, is that you could go from one program to another and, and they, they basically taught totally different things right. and emphasized totally different things. Yes, that's when I started doing, uh, I guess it was early 2000s when the uh, Left Behind books came out, mm -hmm. sold tens of millions of copies of, about the rapture. And Catholics were coming to me, said, do you have material on the rapture? Well, I didn't. So I started researching, started talking to people online and saying, okay, what's this deal with the rapture? Well, with just the rapture, they have a, there are those who believe in a pre-tribulation Pre rapture, which is what the Left Behind books talk about. But then there are those who mid believe in a mid-trip. Mid then there are those who believe in a post-trip. Post right. There are yeah. the, uh, others who believe in all three. Mm -hmm. And then there are other Protestants who don't believe in any of them. Mm -hmm. So right there, you've got four or five different possible combinations for the rapture. But then... And that's something that only came up, what, about 150 years 150 ago? 150 years ago. Right. Uh, John Darby, right. I think was his name, uh, started preaching that far and wide. Uh, but then with the rapture, there's an, an accompanying resurrection. Mm -hmm. So there are people I found online who believe, well, yeah, there's one resurrection of the dead, but now there's two resurrections of the dead. Now there's four resurrections of the dead. And it's like, this is crazy mm -hmm. what's going on. And again, it all gets back right. to, well, you don't have somebody who can say, this is what all Protestants are bound to mm -hmm. to believe, mm -hmm. like, like we have in the, you know, in the Catholic Church, the mm -hmm. Pope, the Magisterium binds on earth what is bound in right. heaven. Whether we like it or not. Whether we like it many or not. Times. You, in a section on sin has consequences, in sola fide is true, then there would be no reason for Jesus to tell these folks, and you're talking about the scriptural situation, to pluck out, pluck out their eyes or off their hand to avoid sinning. There would be no reason because if he was talking to believers, then they are going to heaven whether they sin or not or whether they pluck out an eye or cut off a hand or not. And that's where sometimes even in the Catholic Church with, with this kind of uh, presumption on God's mercy, that no matter what's going to happen, ultimately God is all merciful, so he'll understand. Right, right. right. There's, uh, you know, the, the fundamental option right. we have in Catholic theology, well, if you could call it theology, <laughs> right. uh, that, well, I'm basically a good person, so even if I do sin and sin, commit mortal sins and all, I'm still a good person and God's going to mm -hmm. understand that. But yeah, with, with, with the once saved, always saved teaching in, in Protestantism, sin has no consequences. Mm -hmm. with, uh, because, well, if I'm saved, if I believe I'm saved and nothing I do or don't do can keep me from getting to heaven. So whether I sin, have sins of commission, sins of omission, doesn't matter because I'm saved. If I'm not a believer, well, I'm going to hell no matter what. Mm -hmm. So it, sin has no consequences because I'm going to hell, this one's going to heaven, sin has no consequence whatsoever. But Jesus there with the Sermon on the Mount, he says, well, better to pluck out your eye mm -hmm. to avoid sinning and, and enter heaven with only one eye, then enter hell with your whole body. Mm -hmm. Well, 
only believers go to heaven under Protestant theology, so he's got to be talking to believers because he's telling people who have the option of going to heaven. But he's telling them that if you sin, there's a consequence. Right. And you could end up in hell. So once saved, always saved cannot possibly be true. One quick question in the last two minutes. I, I thought this was, and your question was, was the prodigal son saved before he left his father's house? Yeah, that gets to once saved, always saved because right. Uh, and, and I ask this all the time, and people say, well, yes, he was in his father's house. He was saved. And they'll say, see, the prodigal son shows that no matter what, no matter how much he sinned, he does, he's still saved. I said, well, wait a minute. At the end of the story, at the end of the parable, the father says, for this my son was dead and is alive again. Mm -hmm. So being alive in spiritual terms means you're saved. So he was alive in his father's house. He was dead when he went out and sinned, then he was alive again. So he was saved, unsaved, saved again. Once saved, always saved doesn't happen. Right, any other work, uh, books in the works? Um, I've got a few ideas. I've actually made a proposal to you guys that okay. uh, uh, your, your, your book department's thinking Take a about. Look at it. Okay, so, great, all right. Well, thanks, John. Thank always you, a pleasure God. talking to you. Same here. Uh, always interesting, John Martinoni, A Blue Collar Answer to Protestantism, Catholic Questions That Protestants Can't Answer published by EWTN and available through our religious catalog. It's EWTNRC.com for all things Catholic. I'm Doug Keck. This has been Bookmark. We'll see you next time. Thanks.